This morning I'd like to continue on with our sermon series, St. Luke's on Broadway, as we look at the musical Footloose. It first came out as a movie in 1984. It starred Kevin Bacon, Laurie Singer, Sarah Jessica Parker, John Lithgow. I mean, it was a huge smash. Opened in February 1984, it opened number one. It was so very popular that the soundtrack also continued to go big. When it was introduced, it went to number one on the Billboard charts. The album that it replaced, Michael Jackson's Thriller. No Footloose went big. It had two singles on the album that would also go to number one as a single on the Billboard charts, and that was Footloose and Let's Hear It For The Boy. Now, the music was so successful, so much so that it was decided to take this movie and to turn it into a Broadway musical. It opened in October of 1998 at the Richard Rogers Theater on Broadway. It broke box office records for the Richard Rogers Theater. It would play for almost two years, more than 700 productions. In the end, it would go on a national tour, but the amazing thing is that it would start to be performed all around the world. It has been performed in England, Australia, New Zealand, Japan, South Africa, France, Hungary, Italy, Denmark, South Korea. This production, musical production about a small little town that had a ban on dancing has been performed around the world. It really was based on an actual event in a small town, Elmore City, Oklahoma. It's between Oklahoma City and the Texas border, a town of about a thousand people. It turned out that then they, they'd had a ban on dancing since 1898. The people of Elmore City were worried about the morals of their youth and, and how it could affect them. So they had banned dancing for almost 80 years. But the graduating seniors of 1980, they wanted to have a prom and they wanted to dance. So they began getting organized in order to try and to come and make their presentation to the school board and to ask to dance. It was mainly headed up by Mary Ann Lee, Leonard Coffey, Rex Kennedy, and there were others. They all started working together to make their presentation. Mary Ann was the president of the student council. No, she brought all these kids together and they were ready to make their presentation. It turned out that Raymond Lee, her father, was the president of the school board. Now the town was evenly split. About half the town thought that dancing was a horrible thing of the devil and the other half of the town thought it was perfectly fine. The churches were even split in town. Some thought it was okay, many thought it was not, and they preached so hard against dancing. Well, finally the night came. It came before the school board and they took the vote and it was evenly split, exactly 50-50. It left the deciding vote up to Raymond Lee and he uttered those three significant words, let them dance. 
And so it was to be. The story got picked up literally around the world. You could read the story in the New York Times, the Washington Post. It was picked up in London, the LA Times. I mean, people across the country and around the world were reading about this small town in Oklahoma that had voted to lift a ban on dancing and let these kids have a prom with dancing. Now you wonder, why in the world was that such big news? But somehow it captured people's imagination. And the interesting thing is, Elmore City was not the only small town in Oklahoma to have a ban on dancing and not allow school-sponsored dances to take place. But it was the one that rose up after 80 years and the kids said, we want to dance. Well, they worked hard to be prepared for that prom and they realized it was going to be a big deal. In fact, on the night of the prom, they had reporters from the Chicago Tribune, the Boston Globe, People Magazine, and many others who were there to interview these kids. Marianne Lee said when she came out of her house and she was being picked up by her date, there were five different television stations in her front yard to be filming the whole thing. I mean, it's crazy. They divided up the kids among themselves and said, why don't you take the Chicago Tribune and why don't you take a, the Boston Globe? And they just kind of worked it. And that night they really acted well. They all stayed on point. They had a great prom and it was lots of fun. And that way there could be one again in 1981. Four years after they had their prom, 1984 is when the film came out, opening at number one, Footloose. 1998, opening on Broadway. And since that time, being performed literally around the world. And what I thought was really interesting was, in the year 2010, Elmore City decided to sponsor the Footloose Festival. The town that had had a law that banned dancing for 80 years now sponsors a festival every year, third Saturday in April, where people can come together and there's lots of food to eat, different booths, there are crafts, there are blow-up games for kids, there are lawnmower races, but most of all, there's dancing in the streets. This whole story of Footloose really was the idea of Dean Pitchford. Dean Pitchford was living in L.A. He was 28 years old. And it was Dean who read this story in 1979 about this town that was thinking about lifting the ban on dancing. And so it was that when he read this story, he hopped on a plane, flew to Oklahoma City, and then he got a car and drove down to Ardmore. He got a hotel in Ardmore and then started going out to, to Elmore City in order to be able to interview the people and to find out what they were thinking and what was going on. He interviewed people in, in Ardmore and he got to know a little bit about the, the thinking and the ethos of, of Oklahoma. He then flew back to L.A. and that's when he began working on this, this story of Footloose. He would write the screenplay and he would also co-author, every, compose every single piece of music on the soundtrack. 
they finally got Paramount Pictures to pick up the idea of making Footloose in 1983. They gave him a budget of $8 million. It was a small budget. They hired Herbert Ross to be the director. The fascinating thing was they really treated Footloose kind of as a, as a stepchild. They really didn't care about this. They were always being stingy and pushing back, but pretty much they left them free to do whatever they wanted to do. You see, they were working on two other bigger pictures. That was Star Wars 3 and working on Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom. They really didn't expect Footloose to do very much. That was not supposed to be a, a big deal. So when it came out in February of 1984 and it went to number one, everyone was stunned. And then when the soundtrack was number one, it was about 10 years later, Dean's friends asked him, why don't you um, write the book for a musical? You love Broadway. This ought to be a musical. And so Dean started working on the book for Footloose, the musical. And in 1997, they began their theater workshops and it opened in October 1998. It was such a hit. You know, Dean Pitchford turned out to be such an amazing man. I enjoyed really learning about Dean. It turned out he was born and raised in Honolulu. He grew up there till he was 14 years old. His mom, he was one of four kids. And in the end, they wound up moving to Kansas City. They moved to Kansas City and there he finished high school. And when he finished high school, then he went on to Yale. At Yale, he studied theater. But what I thought was amazing was when he went to Yale, he got involved in the creation of the Wooster Square Revival. It was there that they got to creating a a theater for people who are recovering alcoholics and drug addicts, people who needed the therapy, people who needed the opportunity to be, to be learning and to acting, a creative outlet. It was such an incredible blessing. Well, he was a part of that and he was doing that when he heard that Godspell was going to be participating, coming to, off Broadway. He auditioned, he got a part in Godspell but it turned out that Dean was an incredibly kind man and a man of, of real faith. It was an incredible blessing for him. He started getting small parts. He began doing commercials in the 1970s. And then he read that article about Elmore City. In 1979, he came here. He was all of 28 years old. Obviously, the, the movie was such a great success. Three years after it came out, he traveled out to Seattle. He went out to Seattle and, and there he was going to be speaking at a film festival. And while he was there, he was assigned an intern, a driver, to be taking him around. And, and while they were driving around, it was this driver, this intern, who said to him, how much of the character of Wren is your story? Now, if you know the story of Footloose, you'll know that it really is written all about a young man named Wren McCormick. He's 18 years old. His father has left the family. And that's why he and his mother have moved to this little town in Oklahoma, the fictitious town called Beaumont. He is grieving the loss of his father. He is grieving the loss of his life in Chicago. 
He goes to this little town of Beaumont and he's seen as an outsider and he doesn't feel accepted. He feels rejected. And, and, and Dean said to this young man, I, I don't get it. What part of my life? And Dean said it was this young man, this intern, who started saying, well, your father walked out on your family when you were 14. He moved to Kansas City. That's why your family left Honolulu and went to Kansas City. You suddenly found yourself in a new high school where you didn't have any friends and you felt rejected and you were grieving the loss of your home and your father. And Dean Pitchford said, I had written a screenplay for Footloose. I had written it and I had done 22 rewrites and it never had occurred to me that I was writing my story. The reason that I was able to write Wren with so much emotion was because I understood I had been there. We all have. Every one of us knows what it's like to feel rejected, to be on the outside, to grieve the loss of something in life that we have loved. We've all been there. It's why we all relate, and I believe why this musical has been so popular literally around the world. We understand what Wren would feel. And we also understand what all of the young people wanted to feel, and that was to be so filled with a gratitude and a joy and a love of life that you couldn't help but want to dance. It's what made me think about our scripture lesson this morning. It comes from the book of Psalms, the 30th chapter. Scholars say that the author of the 30th Psalm was someone who had been very sick, very ill. It dramatically impacted their life and they felt alone and excluded and they were struggling. And then they prayed and they trusted and in the end they were healed. And I love what it says in the 11th verse. Lord, you have turned my mourning into dancing and you have clothed me with joy. You have turned my mourning into dancing and you have clothed me with joy. At this point in our world, when you are living, we are all living in such a time of struggles with pandemics and what are we going to do for education and economics and all that is going on that, that makes us mourn for all the past that we loved and the life we knew. How can we find that joy? That's what I want us to think about this morning and I, I believe the psalmist tells us three very important things. First of all, in the third chapter, the psalmist says, O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol and you have healed me. You have brought my life up from Sheol and restored my life. What the psalmist is basically saying is, I've been to hell and back. You are the one, O Lord, who has restored me to life. The author of Psalm 30 understands 
just as we understand that the truth is in life, we all know what it means to go through hell. To have those moments when you grieve and you suffer and you struggle and you grieve the losses and you mourn. Now we've all been there. That's really what all of Footloose is about. It's kind of like it's supposed to be about dancing, but that's just the outer idea of what's going on dancing. It's really a story about all the people who are mourning, who are grieving what they've lost. Wren, who has lost his father. He's lost the life he loves in Chicago, his friends. But Reverend Shaw Moore, in this little town, he lost his son, Bobby, when he was a teenager who was coming back home from dancing and was in a car wreck and was killed. It's all about Ariel, the preacher's daughter. She not only lost a brother, she lost her father. Because Reverend Moore now has become so rigid and just angry and withdrawn. They used to talk and laugh and they were so close. And now she is rebelling and he's trying to control her. It's about Vi Moore, the preacher's wife. She's lost a son. She feels like she's losing a daughter. She doesn't know where her husband has gone. It's all about people who are experiencing the struggles and the pain of life. We've all been there. The question is, how do you choose to deal with it? For the psalmist, he turns to God, O oh Lord, you are the one who has lifted me up out of Sheol. You have brought me from hell and back to life. It was Kenny Loggins who co-wrote the song um, Footloose with Dean Pitchford. And it was a big song for Kenny Loggins. Now, I got to tell you, Kenny Loggins is of my generation. He's someone that I would listen to. Kenny Loggins had such an amazing life. I mean, he, he graduated high school in 66. He chose not to go to college, got involved in music. In 1972, he was singing with the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. I'll take you back. The Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. I mean, how do we come up with names for bands in those days? But I loved listening. And then it was Loggins and Messina. And they toured and they were so successful. Now, now Kenny Loggins had such great success and had the song Footloose. In the end, he would win two uh, daytime Emmys. He would win two Grammys. He would be nominated for an Academy Award, um, for a Tony, for a Golden Globe. Now, Kenny Loggins understood success, and it came at an early age. But so did the struggles. Kenny got married. They had three children. And then the marriage began to go south. Somehow, things just weren't the same. And then he got sick. They weren't really sure what was the problem, but he understood the effects of illness. In the end, he and his wife got divorced, and now Kenny grieved that he did not get to be near his three children. He got better health-wise, got married again, 
He and his wife were in love. They had two children. And then because of all their business adventures, well, they almost went bankrupt. All the success and all that he had made, and they almost lost it all. And then their relationship soured, and one day out of the blue, she left him, and it broke his heart. He continues to sing to this day. He is a man who has found how to love life again. He is someone who's very generous with his time and talents and playing for charities. He wants to be someone who blesses life. But he also has a perspective on life now. And I saw an interview with him, and I want to read you what he had to say. If you think stardom is the answer to your problems, you're sadly mistaken. I watch American Idol with all these kids who think being a star is going to solve their problems, and I know you're crazy. Stardom is good if you want a nice table and a ticket to a show. It's not a free pass around all the problems of being human. All the problems of being human. We understand them. When you grieve and you know heartbreak and you hurt, when you're ill, we understand. The question is, where do you turn and what do you look to? For the psalmist, O oh Lord, you lifted my soul up from Sheol and brought me back to life. Secondly, you know, the psalmist was living in a time when there was a real movement in the faith of the Jewish people, the people of Israel, to try to be righteous, to be good, to follow all the rules. And that meant the Ten Commandments, but it also meant all the rules that were being developed around them to know that you were doing the things that God wanted you to be. There was an emphasis on righteousness. Do the right things and be good. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be righteous, but it also can lead to a hardness of heart, a legalism, and people being judgmental. And that was the tension that was being created. And if you were ill, then obviously you must not have been righteous. You have not followed all the laws and done it just right. You've done things that did not make the Lord happy, and now you're going to have to suffer. There was this struggle of a pursuit of righteousness and being good and legalism and being so judgmental. That really is so much of what the story of Footloose is about. A town that wanted to be righteous. A people that wanted to do all the right things to help their kids be as moral and good as they can be. And they wanted to control them for that. They wanted to tell them exactly what to be able to do, and what is right and wrong, and we're going to control you. And it began to turn into very legalistic and very rigid feelings and how people were being controlled. There's an important scene. The scene where they've been discussing about what should be taught to the kids or not. One of the English teachers was teaching a novel that that the people felt this is not appropriate for our kids and they fired the English teacher and ran them out of town. 
And it made the people start thinking, I wonder what other books are in the library that we don't want our children to be reading. And so they went into the school and they began finding books that they thought they might not like, planting bad seeds in the kids' heads, and they started burning books. Reverend Moore came along and he'd begun to realize the struggles the town was feeling and it was becoming so legalistic and judgmental and controlling. And he saw what was happening and he stopped and he said, Roger, what are you doing? And he said, well, you know, it doesn't take long for, for corruption to set in, Reverend. And Reverend Shaw looked at him and said, well, how long is that, Roger? Is it the same length of time that it takes compassion to die? Compassion can die. Kindness can die. As we strive to be so righteous, controlling. The psalmist understood that. It's why the prophet Hosea, or the prophet Micah would come along. And Micah would come along and say, And what is required of you, O man? What's required of you? Some people thought it was all sacrifices, following the law. What is required of you? But to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. It would be centuries later that this idea of righteousness would grow even stronger in the Jewish faith. And now you had the people called the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It was all about following the law. And they had become so rigid and so judgmental and so controlling. And Jesus would come along and say, Woe to you, Pharisees and scribes. You tithe your mint and dill and cumin. These were small little plants that they would grow for seasoning in their food. And he said, you will, you will tithe these little plants. Tithe, you'll give your 10% to the temple. You tithe your mint and dill and cumin, but you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, like justice and mercy and faith. We want to do what is right, but maybe the things that matter more are are you fair? Are you kind? Are you trusting in God's constant love of you, His child? Maybe there are things that matter more that keeps us from becoming so legalistic and judgmental and controlling. Ariel Moore is the daughter of Reverend Shaw Moore, and they are really at loggerheads. She is rebelling. He's trying to control. He knows what you have to do to be righteous and to be good. And she is not feeling that. Well, the person who plays Ariel in the movie is Laurie Singer. And it turns out that Laurie Singer had a fascinating life. She was born in Corpus Christi, Texas. Her father was an, uh, a performing violinist, an outstanding conductor. In fact, he became the conductor of the Portland Symphony and they moved to Oregon. Her mother was a concert pianist. And I don't care what you say, some people are born with the right genes for being musicians. Your father's a, an accomplished violinist and conductor. Your mother's a, um, a concert pianist. Well, it turned out that Lori 
she had those music genes and she worked hard. She fell in love with the cello when she was a child. I mean, as a young person, she began playing the cello and was phenomenal. She was a child prodigy. She was 13 years old when she made her concert debut with the Portland Symphony. 13. I guess it didn't hurt that daddy was the conductor, but she was that good because at 14 years old, she was accepted to Juilliard School of Music. 14 years old. To this date, Laurie Singer is still the youngest graduate of Juilliard School of Music. Now she said, when I was a child growing up, and I'm just, just obsessed with the cello and playing and playing, everybody kept saying, you shouldn't just be playing the cello. You need to go out and play. You need to be doing other things in your life. You know, you're just obsessed. You shouldn't be playing just the cello. She said, I graduate. I'm giving concerts with the cello. I'm playing with symphonies. And then I start discovering acting. She said, I loved acting. And I started getting involved in acting and not playing so much with the cello. And now people said, what are you doing? You need to play the cello. That's what you're great at. You need to give concerts. You need to play the cello. And she said, I looked at my life and I couldn't help but think, whatever I'm doing, somebody thinks I should be doing it different. So as a young person, she started acting. And right off the bat, she got her big break playing Ariel Moore in Footloose. And now as she looks at her life, she said, you know, I've always made a commitment that I want to do what I believe in. And I want to do something that I enjoy. And I want to do something that I hope will bring joy to others. I love the scene when Ariel Moore is fighting with her father, Reverend Moore. He wants to control her and tell her what she should do. And in the end, she speaks up and she says, Daddy, I don't believe everything that you believe, but I still believe in you. To understand that we may not all agree and we believe things that are different, but we can still believe in one another and love one another. To be careful that we don't strive to become righteous and become legalistic and so judgmental and controlling of others. It's how you find a sense of joy by being who God has created you to be. And so third, in the end, the psalmist will, will say, O my soul, will praise you and not be silent. For O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. I will praise you and not be silent O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. To be filled with a spirit of gratitude at the gifts that God has given. You know, it really is all about recognizing that in life we will all have heartache and we all suffer and we know illness. The issue is where do you turn? Do you look to the Lord? It's about discovering what it means to say, I'm going to be free 
and I'm going to try to live in such a way that I do the things that I fundamentally believe and I'm going to know joy and I'm going to share joy. It really means I'm going to look at life and I'm going to be so grateful for the gift of life and all that it means. You see, it's hard to be so full of life that you want to dance if you don't have gratitude. What happens so often with you and I is we are looking around and we are seeing all that we lack. We are seeing all the problems that are around us. We are seeing all the struggles. And if that becomes our focus, then your heart is never filled with that sense of joy that leads you to dance. It's when I want to praise you, O Lord, forever. I will not be silent. When you're so full of gratitude that you are grateful for life, that you know an incredible joy, it leads you to dance. Oh God, you have turned my mourning into dancing and you have clothed me with joy. That is what God does for us and enables us to come to that moment. It's all about what you choose to see. What if you and I made a commitment that this week we were going to start each morning. Daily devotional, coffee with Bob. You start each morning in that time of prayer and centering yourself. And when you start your prayer, let it be a prayer of thanksgiving. Don't start your prayer with, oh God, please help me. Oh God, I need. Those prayers are okay. But what if you and I started each day this week with a prayer of thanksgiving. Oh God, I am so grateful for. Oh God, it is so wonderful. Oh God, it is there. It's all according to what you and I choose to see. Oh God, I will not be silent. I will praise you for the rest of my life. For truly you are the one who has lifted my soul up out of hell and brought me back to life. To start every day choosing what you see and living in gratitude, thankfulness, and it leads you to want to dance. I saw an interview with Dean Pitchford. He had been now 30 plus years since Footloose had come out. He wrote it when he was 28 years old. And it was interesting to see, they, they were interviewing him and they asked him the question, what were your feelings about the final film when you saw it in 1984? And Dean said, all I could see in the beginning were the flaws, the only if moments that I wish I could go back and correct. And I thought, how often that's what I do. I look at all those if-only moments, if I could have just done it better, if I could have just fixed that. You look at all the mistakes you made and the things that went wrong and the way you have failed or suffered. It's so easy to look back and that's what you see. But it was 30 years later now and they said, what are your feelings about Footloose, the movie and Broadway musical, now more than 30 years later? And Dean said, now I credit Herbert Ross 
with making my screen play into a fable that has stood the test of time. He cast and directed the movie with the perfect touch for which I'm very grateful and proud. To be able to look back now and to be grateful to Herbert Ross who would direct, to all the people who worked and played, I am so grateful for such a moment. It's when you and I choose to live in a spirit of gratitude, grateful for life, that it fills you with so much joy that you just have to dance. It is God who turns our mourning into dancing and closeth with joy. Maybe it really is time for us to cut foot loose. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. Amen.